When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? If you've been looking at Facebook recently, you might think that I wanted to be a dancer when I grew up. Apparently, somebody took some pictures of me yesterday, or they were photoshopped, maybe. No, I'm taking dance lessons because my daughter is getting married, and there will be a father-daughter dance. And this 51-year-old Baptist pastor has never in his life danced until yesterday, at least not that we can really call a, a dance. And so, um, Asensio, the dance instructor, was incredibly gracious and complimentary to me, and I'm sure that his remarks were done out of pity, but um, nevertheless, uh, we've got to be ready for that wedding, so that's coming up, so you might need to, I don't know, disbar me from uh, being a Baptist, I don't know what the, what the rules are there for Baptist dancing, but uh, I will be dancing with my wife and with my daughter at the wedding. I feel like that great musical, um, Fiddler on the Roof, when the wedding finally happens and someone breaks tradition and throws down the rope and begins, a man begins dancing with uh, a woman and another person comes up to the father of the bride and says, he is dancing with her. And he said, I know, I know, and I'm going to dance with my wife. So I feel like we're almost there at that point. But I did not want to be a dancer when I grew up. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, there was a survey done recently asking kids what they wanted to be when they grew up. And the top ten responses, in no particular order, uh, were teacher, musician, doctor, artist, veterinarian, kids love dogs and sometimes cats, movie star, business owner, professional athlete, writer, and police officer. Now, of these ten, one of those was the very top response. And, of course, that would be obvious that something had to be the top response. But what was surprising to me is that the top response was mentioned six out of ten times by kids. Any guesses what it might have been out of all of those? Doctor. Doctor. You know? I, and I suppose if it was 1969, astronaut would have made the list, you know. But it didn't even make the top 20 in this more, more recent list. Uh, some other notable ones were like number 13, secret agent. Or spy, you know. Number 15, when I grow up, I want to be a superhero. Number 20, Race car driver. And uh, there's a picture of me and my son Jonathan with Kyle Busch. And I know if you know anything about race cars, you probably don't care much for Kyle Busch. But he's my favorite because we got that picture taken with him. And I don't know if uh, Kyle Busch had any kind of influence on uh, Jonathan's propensity to put the pedal to the metal later in life. But nevertheless, let, let me ask you this. 
How did your dream job when you were uh, growing up, how did that work out for you? Did you become what you thought you wanted to become? You know, most of us don't. We don't become what we dreamed we might when we were kids. Now, honestly, if you were to ask me my dream job growing up, I'd have to be very candid with you and tell you I honestly don't remember. I, I mean, I really don't. I liked to play baseball. But there's a reason they put me at second base, because I couldn't throw any farther than second to first. Um, and I wasn't good enough at it to make it a career. I was fine with fastballs, but when they started throwing curveballs, no. Skip that. You know, and same thing with football. Growing up here in Lubbock, uh, me and my buddies would play tag football out on 2nd Street over there close to Whataburger. And if we had an odd number of people, then someone would have to be the all-time Roger Staubach for both teams, you know. And uh, football wasn't in the cards for me either because I never was able to throw a spiral, but that never stopped Roger. He couldn't throw a spiral either, but he did pretty good. Eventually, of course, the Lord called me to be a pastor, and, and it is a calling. It's not a career choice. And if you don't know the difference, well, um, maybe someday we'll take the time to study what it means to be called of God, but I'll just say this. In Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 28, we read that from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus, and he called for the elders of the church, the, the elders, the pastors, the overseers. He called them all together, and this is what he said in verse 28. He said, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood and so the Bible is very clear that being a pastor at least a biblical pastor is a calling from God not from mama not from grandma or granddaddy it is a calling from God it's not a career choice it is a calling from God and if you would have told me growing up that I would be a shepherd, I would have laughed at you because I wasn't born in a barn and I wasn't raised on a farm. I don't know, I didn't know growing up the first thing about being a shepherd. I mean, who grows up and wants to be a shepherd? It's not anywhere on the list. An astronaut? Yeah, maybe. A football star, of course. A movie star? Uh, you know, with all the glamour, absolutely. I mean, you don't even have to have an education to be a movie star. Um, but a shepherd, where's the glory in that? Where's the riches, the fame in being a shepherd? All the things that kids want to be growing up, shepherding simply doesn't make the list. Shepherds don't walk on the moon. Shepherds don't score touchdowns or star in movies. Instead, they, they spend a lot of time with creatures that bleat a lot, you know? But that's exactly what the Holy Spirit determined for me. God called me to be a shepherd. He called me to this task. To my right here. It's a very precious painting. To me. This is uh, not a print. It's a, it's a painting by a lady named Ruth Ann Robard, a member of a church years ago. 
who painted this for me. She took up painting uh, when she retired, and she became quite good at it, as you can see. And she painted this for me. And it's a painting, I would suppose, of, of Jesus, of a shepherd, walking through a valley, maybe a valley of death, carrying a sheep on his shoulders. And over the years, being a shepherd has become increasingly meaningful to me. And it was meaningful to Jesus, too. If God was calling me years ago when I was 18, on July 28, 1987, to be exact, to be a shepherd, if he was calling me to do that task, I needed to discover what shepherds do. I had two options. One, go out to a farm, or two, study the Bible. And fortunately for me, the Bible talks a lot about shepherding, and I love to study the Bible. And so what I discovered in my studies was that this lowly position of being a shepherd is actually one that's a quite honorable undertaking. In fact, being a shepherd is so honorable, and it is so important that Jesus himself thought of himself this way. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The Bible also later describes Jesus as the great shepherd and the chief shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And he wouldn't have used that imagery if it was insignificant. I want you to listen just for a minute to what the Bible has to say about shepherds. Because in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, it says this about God. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Matthew 9, 36 says this about Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. King David understood this. King David, as you probably know, grew up as a shepherd boy. That was his task. And when King David later thought about his own relationship with God, he considered himself to be a helpless little lamb. David famously wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me.
I want to talk just a little bit about the rod and the staff. Now, Winston knows, and Ray knows, that what I'm holding in my hand is not a shepherd's rod. This is a tire thumper. I don't know if you've ever considered what it's like to be a truck driver, but you might have an air gauge there in your glove compartment. But just think about how disconcerting it might be to try to check the air pressure in 18 tires. Someone invented this. And so the truck driver will walk by the tires and thump those tires, and it makes a particular sound, a nice, beautiful thump if they're inflated properly. If they're not inflated properly, it makes a different sound. Well, I searched high and low for a shepherd's rod. A shepherd's rod is maybe a foot longer than this. It's made out of hard wood like this is. And at the end of a shepherd's rod, there is almost like a ball, except it's all one piece of wood. But there's like a big knot or a ball at the end. And so shepherd boys in ancient Israel, they would always be able, and sometimes even today, they'd be able to choose and create their own rod and staff. And to make the rod, the shepherd would, would find a young hardwood sapling, and he would dig up the whole tree from the ground. And then he would whittle the thin tree to fit his own unique size and shape, he would cut it down, and the thick part of the sapling is down by the roots, of course. And so that thick part he would whittle down, and he would make it into a ball on the end of that piece of wood that he would hold into his hand. He would smooth out that rounded head. And the, the shepherd boy knew that this instrument was important because he would use the rod for a number of reasons. The very first reason that a shepherd would use the rod is to count the sheep. And that might sound strange, to count the sheep. But have you, have you ever tried to count sheep? We're going to see a video at the end of this message. And I dare you to count the sheep in this video. But it's almost impossible to count sheep because, and, and I'm not talking about trying to get to sleep. You count sheep jumping over you know, a, a gate or something like that. I'm talking about real life sheep because when you, let's say, count the first five sheep, then, then three of them have moved around and scattered and they're all just everywhere. And so the only way to actually count sheep is when they enter or leave the sheepfold. You know, and, and uh, I find it sort of interesting, sometimes humorous, about, you know, when people talk about, well, uh, church membership and how they, some of the things people say about church membership. Um, for example, people say, oh yeah, I, I, I think I'm a member of that uh, Broadway Baptist Church. Yeah. You know, I, I'm like, you mean Broadview? Yeah, that's it, Broadview. And I, I like to ask people, well, who's the pastor there? And they're like, oh, uh, Nixon, um, Eisenhower, uh, uh, you mean Truman? Uh, yeah, Truman. Truman. I'm like, yeah. He, man, that's a, he's a good guy. I met him, you know. Ended World War II and then became pastor of the church, you know. But uh, just like to have fun with people a little bit. But 
The reality is some people think they're members of a church because they signed a document a long time ago. Or because they, you know, walked an aisle a long time ago. And biblically speaking, that doesn't make you a member of the church. You see, you're a member where you flock. It's that simple. According to Jesus, according to the biblical imagery, wherever, whatever flock you're a part of, that is where you're a member. And so when it comes to counting the members, it's almost impossible for pastors and shepherds today to just sort of scan the crowd and, and think, is that person a member? Well, they're going over this other flock now, and they're this other person. And it's almost impossible. There has to be a time in which the sheep are brought into the sheepfold periodically, and they pass under the rod. And so what would happen is that the, the, the pastor or the shepherd in that day would stand at the door of the sheep. He himself would be, as you know from last week's sermon, the, the door of the sheep. And as the sheep would come in, they would pass under the rod, and he would count them one at a time. And so it really today, when you talk about churches, if you want to know who is a member of the flock, ask the shepherd. He knows because he uses the rod to count the sheep. And so each sheep that passes under the rod is counted and the reason that's important to hold that rod out when the sheep pass under is you can also start to examine the sheep. You can start to touch the sheep gently with the rod and brush the wool around. Look for wounds. Look for sickness. And that happens every night when the flock comes in. That type of accounting, whether it happens with biblical sheep in the ancient days or whether it happens with pastors in the flock that God gives them, that kind of accounting has to happen, and it can only happen as sheep pass under the shepherd's rod. There's no such thing as a sheep being part of a flock and the shepherd doesn't know about it. It's just not possible. Fortunately, the good shepherd, Jesus, has no trouble keeping track of his flock. Jesus said later in this chapter in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I like a good shepherd like that, because he's talking about me. He's talking about you. And you might wonder, well, Pastor, uh, how can you be one of the sheep if you're a shepherd? Well, in God's economy, God gets his shepherds from the flock. And so I'm a sheep along with you, and I have a good shepherd. His name is Jesus. There's another use for the rod, and undoubtedly you've heard the saying, you can't pull the wool over my eyes. And I'll tell you where that comes from. It comes from this, because as I mentioned when the sheep come in, he'll, the, the shepherd will make a passing glance, and he'll check them quickly, check each of those sheep quickly. But there's another use for the rod where he will go to a sheep that may seem to be in some type of distress, and he will gently use that, that rod to part the fleece, and he'll make a closer examination of the skin. He'll scan the skin for cleanliness. He'll scan the, the skin for health. 
And you see, if the shepherd doesn't examine the sheep, he can't know the true condition of the sheep. But if he can part that wool, he can expose problems that can be treated before they become severe. You know, there are times when God's people will come to me seeking godly counsel. And might be surprising to you, but sometimes people who actually come to me seeking advice, they'll actually try to hide their problems behind a thick wool, if you will. And so I, sometimes I have to talk to them, and by talking to them I can sort of get past all the, the woolly fluff and get to the heart of the problem. I have to expose the problem so we can treat the problem because, before it becomes more severe. And so that's an important aspect of the sheep or of the shepherd. Jesus, likewise, who is the good shepherd, he examines us by his word. He examines us through the Holy Spirit. But if we, his sheep, refuse to allow the good shepherd to regularly examine our hearts so that the weaknesses and the sicknesses can be exposed so that we can confess those things to Him. If we refuse to go through that process, then we run the risk of small issues growing so large that they can harm us and even harm other sheep in the sheepfold. There's a third way that the shepherd uses the rod. He uses this rod to reprimand unruly sheep. Sheep that pick on others. Sheep that cause trouble. He'll use it to discipline sheep that maybe eat the wrong plants or are somehow oblivious to danger that they're putting themselves in. But when the shepherd uses the rod on a sheep, he has to remain restrained because the rod can easily kill a sheep. And so the shepherd, in using the rod of discipline, has to exercise self-control and, and discipline himself and temperance when he's dealing with sheep. There are occasions when I, as a pastor, have to speak difficult truths to troublemakers. And there are times when Christians find themselves oblivious to the spiritual danger that they're in, and I have to wake them up. Sometimes they don't appreciate it. But my responsibility is to the owner of the sheep. And I must do my best for him. Jesus, the good shepherd, loved Israel. He wept over Jerusalem, for they rejected the love that he had for them. And one of the sharpest rebukes that Jesus ever uttered was to the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23, because they led God's people, they led God's flock astray. They rejected their own Savior. They rejected their own shepherd. And the words that Jesus spoke were like a rod of discipline administered to his own flock. There is a fourth and most important way that the shepherd uses the rod. It is to defend the sheep against enemies. Growing up, a shepherd boy would spend hours learning how to use this deadly instrument. He could scare away a predator 
by banging it on a rock. He could hit an enemy on the head with it. He could expose snakes hidden in the the brush, and if he needs to, beat the snake to death. You see, when you have an extension of your arm made out of hard wood, it gives you a sense of courage in the face of danger. There have been opportunities or times, I suppose I should say, when I've had to defend God's flock from predators that saw all of you, for example, as a means to make money. And that's when a rod, the rod, maybe not this piece of wood, would come in handy, but this right here. The rod of God's word spoken to these predators, it tends to make them flee. Jesus, the good shepherd, he has a special rod of his own that he will one day wield in his authority. Revelation chapter 2, verse 27 says, And he will rule them with the rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken into pieces. Revelation 19, verse 15 says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. The good shepherd will make all things right one day. And he'll do so with a rod of iron. And then you have the shepherd's staff. The shepherd's staff is a long and slender stick, of course, with a crook at the end. The shepherd himself will will choose it. He'll smooth it out. He'll usually shape it to his own personal height. The staff is not used for hurting any other kind of animal. You can't use something like this for cats. You ever try to herd cats? <laughs> not a good situation. The shepherd's staff is especially and specifically used for sheep. It identifies the shepherd's trade. It gives the shepherd extra strength and support for his body as he leans on it, with each step that he takes over the many miles that he has to tread as he leads the sheep to suitable water and to pasture. The shepherd's staff is designed to care for his sheep. You see, if a sheep is about to go to a dangerous place or to eat a poisonous weed, and if the sheep won't respond to the gentle nudging of the rod... The sheep will respond to the authority and protection offered by the shepherd's staff. Because that that shepherd will take the sheep and he'll catch the hind legs and pull that sheep back from danger. Or if necessary, wrap that crook around its neck. Because where the head goes, the body goes. The staff can be used to untangle sheep from briars and thorns. If a sheep falls into water, the shepherd can quickly use the staff to lift that sheep back into the safety of the flock. Sometimes when a ewe has a newborn, it can become separated. That newborn can become separated from its mother. And the the shepherd knows 
that he can, because he's strong enough and fast enough, he can go up to that newborn and pick it up in his arms and get it back to its mother. But the problem with that is that he has then infected that newborn with his own smell. And so he can't hold it close to his arms like he, like he would. That's not his place. That's the mother's place. But if that little sheep is separated, the shepherd, in order to not have the mother reject its baby, he'll keep his distance, and he'll either use the tip of his staff to nudge that baby sheep back to its mother, or if necessary, he'll take the other end and sort of drag, gently drag, that baby lamb back to its mother so that they're reunited once again. You know, there's an unlimited number of uses for the staff, but every single one of them is done for the benefit of the sheep. And it's no wonder that a young shepherd boy, grown up to be a king, would write these words. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because in the hands of the good shepherd, there's protection, there's love, there's caring. You know, on occasion, when the shepherd rises early in the morning and he lets the sheep out of the sheepfold, the sheep will wander away from him. They seemingly want the freedom to live their own lives apart from the shepherd. They want to explore pastures on their own, and some of them even grow tired of their family. They grow tired of the flock. Can you imagine that? A sheep growing tired of the flock. And so, embracing their newfound freedom, off they go. Not a care in the world, or so they think. And it's not that sheep are dumb. That's, that's really a, a misnomer. It's not that they're dumb. They're, they're really not. It's just that they are so totally dependent on the shepherd. And sometimes they forget. And so they wander off from the shepherd. The sheep, however, don't know the danger they're in because the clouds of life can cast a deep fog, very vast. It can disorient them. Is there a wolf nearby? Which way is back to the safety of the sheepfold? Where's the shepherd? How do I get home? Fortunately, we have a good shepherd. He will not abandon us when we wander off in our ignorance. He'll not leave us to the wolves of this world. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for us. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose from the grave to give us life, both now and eternally. And every person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ becomes a part of God's flock, over which Jesus himself, again, is the good shepherd. And so even if we begin to wander off, even if we're so far away from the good shepherd that we can no longer see him, even if we wander away so long that we no longer know the way home to the safety of the sheepfold, even if that's you, 
All you have to do is one thing. Listen for the voice of the good shepherd. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. But today, if you listen for the good shepherd, he's calling you, he's calling you back. He's calling you home. Will you come to him? Let's pray. Father, we like sheep have gone astray, each one of us to our own way. You care for us. You love us. And you sent to us such a good, good shepherd. We need him every day. We need him this day. Lord, make us wise. Let us draw near to Jesus today. We trust you. We love you. Thank you, Father. It's in the name of our precious good Savior and good shepherd that we pray. Amen.